0: All right, so we're in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I'm good, Jason. I'm I'm good. He's usually my accompanier here, but I'm going to get to scripture a little later in this. Uh, Last week, we continued walking through the gospel from John's perspective or from his observation. I, I started thinking about this. I know the title says The Gospel According to John, but it's not like John decided what the gospel needed to be. I was thinking about that this week. Really, it's. Maybe that's even a misstatement, and that's usually the way it's listed in Bibles and everything else is, you know, the gospel according to John, or John's gospel. It's not John's gospel. Um, it wasn't his good news, and it wasn't um, that he got to make it up. It really was just he got to observe it, right? And then he got to document it as God inspired him to do so. So, But we uh, we've been walking through John's Uh, observation of the gospel. We talked about last week about Jesus being in Jerusalem during the Passover, His forceful clearing of the temple. Um, We talked about how that Passover was a remnant from a celebration from when the people had been in uh, captivity in Egypt and how that uh, God was going to send a death angel through that camp and deliver them and it was part of their deliverance. The expectation was they needed to make a sacrifice and put Put blood on the doorpost, and and that allowed then the death angel to see that and to pass over. And so that was the celebration. That was a type and shadow of the fact that Jesus would die on our behalf, and and because of his shedding of blood, his death, all of that that he would wash away our sins. And then when God came and would see us, he would see that we were cleansed, and and judgment would pass over us. And that's well, that's just good stuff. Uh, But we saw that what Jesus did last week was he braided a small whip and he ran the money changers out of the Gentile court along with the sheep and the oxen and the merchants that were selling them. And as we talked about, his, his, his righteous anger was stirred up because his father's house was being turned into a marketplace. The church had turned into somewhere to sell stuff instead of being a place of worship and prayer. And I'm not going to get back into it today, but we talked a little bit about how that's, there's a lot of that that's going on still today. Um, I will just venture into this and I'll just say I, I, I think it's a little bit of a struggle when you, when you see a, uh, a minister, uh, whether it's on television or radio or by anything else, and they're living in multi-million dollar homes and the people that they minister to and that are attending their churches are living substandard below poverty level. I think it's a disgrace. I think it's I think it's shameful, um, because most of the time in those situations, it's full time it's full time ministers, and so where's that money coming from? That, that stuff's coming from people that that are struggling and that that could use that help. And um, anyway, uh, so I think I think Jesus gets a little upset by that stuff. Uh, later in the message uh, today, I want to come back to this thought about. Um, God's house being turned into a marketplace, and and how that affected Jesus, and I, I want to talk about that because something dawned on me as I was getting ready for this week's message that I didn't think about last week. You know, sometimes God just doesn't necessarily give me all the stuff that He wants me to share. But when you're preaching through, you know, stuff like this, and He can let you back up a little bit and talk about something that maybe you know is a nugget that you get to add on to a previous week. So we're going to look at Uh, The end of chapter 2 of John, beginning with verse 18. Here we go. It says, "...so the Jews replied to him..." This is following right after he just run everybody out of the temple in the outer court who were uh, selling things and trying to make money off of worship. Mm. So this is what happens. "...so the Jews replied to him, "'What sign of authority will you show us for doing these things?' "'Jesus answered, "'Destroy this sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days.'" Therefore the Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. God, I thank you for the fact that it is you above all things and that what we do here today and why we're here And how we serve and how we interact together is all about you. It's not about us. It's not about our desires, our feelings, our wants, any of those things. In fact, if those things are getting in the way, then God, I pray that you would just remove those things, banish those things, that you would bring repentance on hearts for that. And that, God, you would cause us to come into your presence wanting to be around you. And God, everything that we do and everything that we say here today would be focused on you and not ourselves. And God, I pray that today you will speak into our hearts. I pray that you will open our minds. And that God, you will let us see something powerful out of your Scripture before we even head into this week and and this preparation for not a celebration necessarily of Easter, but a celebration of your resurrection. And God, that we will find something powerful that's going to impact us today out of this scripture. And I give you all the praise and all the glory, for you alone are worthy. And the church together said, amen. amen. One, of the, one of the initial notable things about this group of verses is the reaction of the Jewish people that are, that are there in the temple. Um, if you took note, when if, if we went back, if you went back, if you grab um, I'm going grab to grab an extra Bible here right quick. If we went back right before this in John, if we were in John chapter 2 and we we jumped back to to verses around you know 15 16 17 and we see exactly what was going on there you'll notice if we look at um at at verse Uh, verse 15 says he made the whip of cords drove them out of the temple with the sheep and ox and he poured out the coins of the money changers overturned their tables. He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade and his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now when we were talking about this last week we discussed how that this outer court that was called the Gentile court was where all of us would be. If we're not Jewish and I don't think any of us are then that's where all of us would be because then you had the uh, we talked about the court of women where the, the Jewish women could go, then you had the court of Israel where the the, uh, the Jewish men could go, then you had the, the holy place, and you had the most holy place. All of us you and I, we would be out here in this big court called the court of Gentiles and so when, when the priest who controlled the temple, so the church folks controlled what was going on at church, alright? Let's just make it you know, real point. Church folks were controlling what was going on at church. And so they have allowed all of this merchandising to go on and everybody to show up in this in this outer court and and all the noise and all the stench and all this stuff in a place that was supposed to be about worship. And they're all about selling stuff and making money. And we talked to even how that when when Jesus addresses them, he says, um, I want to know why you've made my father's house. So he doesn't say our father's house. So these were people who were not even believers that had showed up and were uh, now out in the place of worship trying to make money off of believers. So, so the church folks had let unbelievers come into the place of worship and start charging people stuff and kind of taking money from them. All right, that's just about as abuse, uh, as much abuse as you can get going on. So. But that means the priest had to allow it to happen. So the priests know better, but they've allowed it to happen anyway. And so now when we hit verse 18, we don't see the the religious folks. Forget Jewish, Gentile in this situation. Let's just think about These are religious folks. These are supposed to be church-going folks. We don't see them stand up and say, Hey, Jesus, great job, because we should have put a stop to this a long time ago. That's not what we see. What we see is them say, who gave you the authority to do this? It's it's a little bothersome that they did not question the justness of what God had done. What Jesus was doing. There's no discussion about whether what Jesus has done is right. The only discussion they're having is whether Jesus has the authority to do what he's done and quite honestly, I believe this betrays the fact that they fully knew what was going on. They knew it was improper. They knew it only affected the Gentiles. And because it wasn't affecting the normal religious folks, except to possibly line their pockets with some kickbacks from some merchants, they didn't have any desire to make this situation right. They had no interest in making this right. Nobody's really complained all that much because all of the church folks are together on this. All the folks that are in authority are together on this. And the only folks that are bothered by this is people that we don't really care that much about anyway. I mean, that's, that's the reality of what this situation was. Now before it seems like I'm going to get all judgmental and haughty toward the Jewish religious people today, let's be honest about our own societal conditions. Ain't nobody amen that. Nobody's like, I'm going to wait and see what you say. (laughs) There are things in our own society where people are still oppressed over things that are not ungodly. Yet because maybe it doesn't personally affect many people in the faith community, then there's not any righteous anger that gets directed toward resolving the situation. Now don't don't misunderstand, God doesn't have any expectation uh, about us having righteous anger or action towards situations where issues are sinful or ungodly. And and that stuff's out there too. But in this situation, there was access to God that was being limited. There was access to worship that was being limited. Access to experience in His presence that was being limited limited, and and damaged for people. And there's stuff in our society where that because maybe it doesn't affect your family or because it doesn't affect my family, maybe, we think. Or maybe because we don't know anybody or whatever that's experiencing something or because maybe that's not our background or how we grew up, then we're just kind of okay with that it's going on. And we say, well, you know, I mean, God hasn't called me to to be, you know what, active in that area of ministry, really? Really? You know the Bible talks about that we've been given the Ministry of Reconciliation. that's been given to all of us. There's a lot of opportunity that's happening in our world where religious people aren't concerned about what's being done to their fellow man. Instead, like the Jewish people, the religious people in this passage, they're just concerned with finding out, have you got the authority to make this happen, to do this? So they asked Jesus to demonstrate that He has authority over the temple complex. I, th- I think that just kind of bugs me. I, it really does. It just really bothers me when it's kind of like if you see somebody's kids doing something to another another kid, right? Now, when I w- when I was a kid, everybody in our church. I'm not advocating. I'm not trying. To, I'm about fixing to advocate what I'm fixing to say, but but I'm just going to tell you how it was when I was growing up. All right. Cause now I'm getting old enough that I can start saying, you know, back when I was growing up, we uh, there a bunch of us boys and stuff, you know, we we had full out church service Sunday morning, full out church service Sunday night, had a choir practice that was in between all that. Well, we'd always want to go home with each other, you know. So this week, you know, all the boys are wanting. There'd be four or five of us wanting. To go. I don't know how anybody afforded to feed all of us. I really don't, but but. There'd be four or five of us want to hang out and go to somebody's house. And then the next week we'd want to go to somebody else's house. And then the next week they'd want to come to our house. And not as many people wanted to come to the preacher's son's house, though. I want you to know that. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. But so there was always a statement that got made. And it was just a given thing in the church. Now I never had it happen. You know, but but I would hear my parents and I would hear other people's parents go, look, if they go to acting up, you just treat them like they're yours and tear them up. Right, that was, that was nobody ever did it. I mean, I never saw it happen. But that was the thing that God said was, "Hey, if they go, don't you go putting up with them mouthing off and nothing like that. If you got to, just take a switch to them, you know, or whatever." It's ironic how that that in today's society, if you've got if you see some kids acting up and mistreating one another, and you say something to a you know to a child or whatever, say, "Hey, you need to you need to quit hitting them." You know, you don't need to talk to them like that. As a parent, will come loose on you like you ain't never seen in your life. Right? Now, I'm not talking about you going over and snatching somebody's kid up because you don't need to be doing that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just trying to correct something. People, will, people, people are more upset that you tried to correct a bad behavior than they are that the bad behavior was going on. And then we wonder why when, when kids get older and they become teenagers and whatever else, and then they become young adults and then they become us, we wonder why they have so many struggles. Right. Amen. That was not in my notes, but, but I'm just sharing that. Stealer. Felt it and gave it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what was going on with these folks. They weren't concerned about stopping and going, man, you know what, you're right. We are abusing the Gentile people that we're, oh, we're going to let you come worship, right? Condescending, but, well, anyway. We're going to let you come worship but we're not worried about what's happening to your worship. We're not worried about what's happening because we don't let you on in here in the, in, the, in the inner spots anyway. We don't let you in the inner circle. So we don't care what happens in your circle out there. I mean, we're letting you come in. I mean, just, just ridiculous, ungodly kind of attitude. And so instead of feeling convicted... By Jesus doing this and them stopping and going, you know what, I should have done that a long time ago. We should have gotten together and, and run those folks out of here and said, This is not what's supposed to be happening in God's house. This is not what's We ought to be standing up for, for the, the people that are coming here to work. That is not where they were. It was just, who gave you the authority to do that up in here? So Jesus responds. And he confounds them because he says, destroy this sanctuary and I'll raise it up in three days. Now, as I was preparing my notes for today, I almost inserted a statement at this point that the spiritual blindness of the religious people had kept them from seeing that Jesus was talking about his body. And we see it stated there in the passage that says they didn't understand it. But, but here's what I realized. I also realized when I read the rest of that passage that even his own disciples didn't understand what he was saying. So it wasn't just spiritual blindness of the people that were there. It was just some overall not understanding yet. And for sure, the religious folks who were so blinded because they were all concerned about why you just busted up our party, right? You busted up our party that we're gonna making some money off of, and, and we just want to know why you thought you could do this. But they didn't question whether it was right. They didn't question. They knew. They knew that what he had done was right. They just wanted to know whether somebody had more authority than he did to be able to say, no, we're going to leave that in place. There's a lot of folks in our world that they're not questioning whether something's right or wrong. They're just trying to see if they can find somebody that's got more authority that can keep their little party in place that's keeping somebody else oppressed. Verse twenty-two, we see that he says that his disciples finally understood what Jesus was saying at this point after they saw that he had been raised from the dead, following three days from the crucifixion. So you got to keep something in mind. This this is going to be a powerful thought. You got to keep something in mind. We are at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. All right. That means that his public ministry lasted. Depends on which scholars you read. They say approximately three to maybe three and a half years, according to most. John specifically, in the the book that we're reading out of the Bible now, John references the Passover that we see here in chapter 2, then another one in chapter 6 during Jesus' ministry, and another in chapter 11. So we know we get three, and most scholars believe that there was probably a fourth Passover that was not referenced simply because when they look at the uh, documented travels and the things that Jesus did, and they look at the timing that's mentioned, there's a possibility there could have been a fourth Passover just to give an, enough time. So it's about three to three and a half years. So here's what you got to think about. Jesus makes this statement, and he's got all his disciples there, and he's got these folks that are, uh, that are the religious folks, but the most important ones that we see are his disciples. They hear him make this statement, and it's at least three years before they understand it. It's at least three years I mean, he's in this major, he's just been flipping tables, kicking, you know, something, and taking names, right? Right? I mean, I mean, he's running stuff out. He's he's not he's not playing wimp on this day. He's not, you know, doing the church thing, just being like, oh, can I bless you and get you all to go out? Right? I mean, he's 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 knocking tables over, spilling stuff, and apparently by the time he tells the guys with the doves, you need to get your junk and go. People are like, we better go. We, we, we need to go. This is one guy. This is one guy. Got a little whip. He braided up out of some cords. He's just kind of flogging on some stuff. All these folks get out of the temple because this one guy. There must have been something powerful about what he was doing, right? They knew it wasn't right. might had to be getting a hold of some folks. And there had to be some seeming authority about him. Because they surely outnumbered him. It wouldn't have been that big a deal. Why didn't somebody just go get the high priest and all them and go, hey, tell this guy he's got to get out of the temple. He's out here running folks off and all this. Mm -mm. Now people went. People left because he was God. But he makes this statement then and tells them, no, 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 tear down this temple, destroy it, and I'll, I'll build it back in three days. And everybody that's there and listening has no clue what he's talking about the religious people all think he's talking about physically tearing down the temple. That's why. Man, it took 46 years to build this thing. And you by yourself think you're going to build this back in three days. And the disciples that are staring, they don't understand it. And, and, but the Bible says that after he's resurrected, then it dawns on them, hey, we know what he was talking about three years ago. I want to give you this thought. God may bring some things into your life today that you will not understand for some time into the future, but hold on because he hasn't brought those things in without purpose. Hold on. He hasn't brought them in without a purpose. It's like a seed. God plants some things into us that we only come to fully understand as things come to pass in our lives. That's hard on us sometimes, right? Let's be honest, it's hard. If if somebody was in this highly emotional situation and there's there's a lot of high profile people involved and you're trying to follow this person. You're their disciple and they drop this major statement, tear this thing down I'm going to build it back in three days and you are not any more understanding what they're saying than what these religious folks are that are doing some bad stuff and it's three years later before you finally understand oh That's what he was talking about. Huh. Back to our passage though. We see some interesting statements here in verses 23 through 25. It says that many people saw the signs that Jesus did and they believed. The word that's used there in the Greek means faith or trust. It's often used in places where it is talking about absolute belief in Christ, following after Christ, but it's also used in some instances where that that faith and that trust or that belief does not sustain, it does not last. It's not an abiding or a concrete faith or trust. The context that we see here is that people saw the signs that Jesus did and they believed more in the signs than they did in Jesus himself. They saw the signs and said, you know, well that must mean that he is something. Something. But we don't see that it lasted, that it was any kind of sustainable faith. True biblical faith has to be followed by a process of discipleship. That's probably best illustrated by the parable of the soils in Matthew 13. Most people have probably heard that as the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed. It's really the parable of the soils where it talks about that a sower goes out and he's got some seed and he's throwing and there's all kind of different ground that's there. So see, the the sower's the same, the seed is the same. The only difference in this whole parable is about the different ground. He talks about that some goes by the wayside, some goes on stony ground, some goes into some ground that's thorny, that's got stuff there. And so what we end up seeing in that passage is that when the, there, there's this idea of faith that occurs where it talks about how the, the seed begins to grow but in the first instance where it goes to the wayside, it talks about that, um, that the enemy comes along and steals it. It's kind of like the birds come along and get it off the ground, and they take it, and they, they eat the seed, and they fly off with it. So the ground no longer has it. Then you've got the, the ground that is the stony ground, so it can't get good root. So it starts to grow up, but its roots are very shallow, and so when the sun comes along, it doesn't have the ability to pull water in and everything from down deep, and so the sun actually causes it to shrivel up and die. All right? That's like most plants that I deal with. I'll just tell you right now. They're going to shrivel up and they're going to tend to die. Except for the ones that I wish would not die. And those grow like I can't you know, imagine. It's unbelievable. But then you've got then that, that, that part where it, um, it goes into some thorny ground. It goes into where there's some weeds. And so as this plant that you want it to be starts to grow up and that faith starts to try to grow up, then the things the Bible talks about, the cares of this world... They come in and they choke it out. And so they kill that, that plant that you were trying to grow, and the weeds overrun it and, then it, and then it dies. It's the same concept. It's that idea of faith that begins, but faith that does not sustain. And Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, and he says that. He says, look, it, even though these people believed, it says Jesus didn't turn around, and it uses the same word back about them. It says they had faith in him, but Jesus didn't have faith in them. Because he understood and he knew the condition of people and as a result of that he did not commit himself to them because he knew that their faith was not a faith that was sustained. They were believing in what he did. Now I'm not going to dwell on this very much today because it's a whole other subject, but there are a lot of folks in the faith community that tend to follow after the big extravagant things that happen. There are people they'll drive 200 miles to go to a church service where somebody is that supposedly the all and and I just say supposedly because maybe it does in some instances. Other instances I, I'm fully convinced that it's not. But but where something dramatic happens and so they believe that every time they go to where this person is that. Um, I've told y'all before, then they're going to do the whole thing. They're going to blow out on a section, you'll... across a section where there's 2,000 people and everybody's just supposed to drop in the floor or something. And there are people that they will absolutely... because they are chasing that sign. They are chasing what they think is happening, but they may not be that faithful to their local... Expression of the body of Christ. They may not be that faithful to go across town and minister to somebody that doesn't look like them or that doesn't live in the same in the same economic stratum that they live in, or or want you know go to Jacksonville and help people clean up or whatever. Because well, I don't have anybody that lives up there. There's a lot of stuff that that, that people do chasing signs. And that's what Jesus saw. It's, hey, there was a lot of people, they saw him doing things. We actually don't know what, it, what the signs were because we've only seen a definition of one miracle be done at this point. And that was his miracle that we talked about early on uh, here in John about where he turns the water into wine at the wedding at Canaan. It doesn't illustrate what these other things are, but they apparently were obvious signs that he was someone special. That's at least what they saw. And so they believed because of the sign, but he says, I'm not going to commit to them because he understood the heart of man. That's going to be really important to us next week because we're also going to see that Jesus truly understands the heart of man when we get into chapter 3 and we start dealing with a man named Nicodemus. Jesus knows the heart. Now, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to the fact that Jesus was so concerned about this outer court, the Gentile court. And I'm, I, I want to be, be very upfront with you and tell you that uh, what I'm about to share with you is my opinion. I always want to be clear if I'm telling you that I've you know, studied something out and found it to you know, where I would give you scriptural support or whatever. Um, I'm going to try to never give you an opinion that I don't think stays in line with scripture. But I want to be real clear when I'm telling you that this is something that's my opinion. Last week when we saw that there were these several courts before you entered into the holy place and in the most holy place where the presence of God would meet with men, uh, we, we saw how big this outer court was. And, and so I asked myself this week, I was like, why would Jesus be so concerned about the outer courts if the presence of God was so much deeper inside? Why would he be worried about what was going on in this Gentile court out here when the presence of God was several courts and it was buried deep inside this temple? My brain just thinks that way sometimes. I kind of want to understand stuff, you know? So here's what I believe. I truly believe that we miss the reality sometimes that what is being demonstrated in the outer areas of our lives are indicative of whether we are meeting with God in the deeper areas of our lives. I think that what uh, there was there was an old preacher uh, used to preach revivals for my dad and he had this saying. He was I'd get so tickled. He was a he was a wonderful wonderful man of God, but he would get so excited when he'd start preaching that he'd start rubbing the top of his head while he was while he was preaching and and that may be why you know he kind of was losing some hair, but but I mean he would get he'd be he just be preaching and he'd start rubbing the top of his head and I get tickled because I was a kid you know I mean I was like a little kid I'm this dude's preaching he's fired up he's rubbing the top of his head and I'm going check that out right there, but he used to have this saying he had a lot of these just country sayings and he had one he said if it ain't in the well it won't come up in the bucket how about that. Think about it. If it ain't in the well, it won't come up in the bucket. You can't draw something out of somebody if it's not already in them down deep. Now, let's think about that in context to why was Jesus concerned about the outer courts? How could the priest be really connected to meeting with, the, with God, the Holy One, in the inner courts if they're allowing all this junk to go on in the outer courts. See, not many people got to go into the holy place. That was just where the priest could go. Then the most holy place, only the high priest could go. So really, for you to know that, that this guy was truly meeting with God, you never had a first-hand view of that because you couldn't go into that deep inner place with him. Our lives are that way. You can, on the surface, look like you could show up here every week and you could look all smiley and, and be all happy and act like everything's great and everything's grand. And a lot of times in church, that's the, what people really want, right? Let's just be honest. Let's see, we done went hard. we're going hard now, Jason. We just, we just shifted gears, went hard. No, a lot of times that's what people want. Hey, look, I want to come in. I want to get my hour and 15 minutes or so. Um, I want to be done. I don't really care if anybody else has got any problems going on. I don't really care if anybody else is struggling. And God knows I don't, because He does, by the way, God knows that I don't want to have to spend some time dealing with that somebody needs some help and has some They need to talk to somebody, they need somebody to encourage them. I got time for that. I'm planning on going over here to eat lunch today. I got this going on this afternoon. I got this. I got time for all that. You're right. That is the way. That's a lot. That's where a lot of it is. So people don't care. They they just we, we put on the show, but they're not. It's because they're not meeting with God in that deep inner place. So folks can make it look like it's oh, you know, they look very Christianese, right? Look very spiritual. I think Jesus really did care about what was happening in that. Of course, there's obviously there there are two reasons, but here's the thing: there ought to be consistency in the fringe areas of our lives that's consistent with what's going on in the deep place of our soul. I'm going to walk you through that, so I'm going to give you that again because I got one. Amen. Um, There ought to be consistency in the fringe, the outside area of your life that is consistent with the inner condition of your soul. You hear people, y'all, y'all have heard me say this before, people will somehow mouth something off and go, oh, I didn't mean to say that and I've told you before. yeah, you, you, No, you meant to say it, you just didn't mean to, you didn't really want it to get out. You thought it, right? <laughs> I mean, most of the time, if it ain't no well, it won't come up in the bucket, right? You go, well, is that a scriptural thing? Sure it is. Sure it is. Because there's in First in Samuel 16, when people are getting all concerned about whether David looked like he ought to be the king or not because he's just this little shepherd boy and all this stuff, the, the, there's a statement gets made. God, God speaks and He says, look, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. See, man can look at you on the outside. Think about it. There, there's been some terrible tragedies happening lately in our, in our society. I mean, we've had a bomber running around. Down there, man, down there in Texas. I mean, had 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 a bomber running around down there. We've had school shootings. We have various different things. And there are people. I, I felt so bad for the young for the young man's family. There was this bomber there in Texas because his family said we we didn't know anything was going on with him like this. There's lots of people. There are people that they take their own lives, and people go, I don't understand. I didn't even know. Sometimes that may be because we're not engaged enough. Sometimes that may be because we're not connecting into somebody's life. We're not paying enough attention. We're just going through the motions going around each other. Sometimes it may be that someone just truly has kept that stuff hidden. But what's going on on the inside will finally at some point manifest itself on the outside. It's just going to make its way out. That's why under moments of pressure people say things that they wish they hadn't said, but they thought them. That's why it came out. What was on the inside came out. There ought to be consistency in the fringe areas of our lives in accordance with the deep place and where we are in our soul. I believe that Jesus saw the outward appearance of the temple and he recognized it was doing two things. Number one, it very clearly stated it was disrespecting the place that God had designed for mankind to interact with God. The second thing is that that condition would discourage other people from being drawn to worship God Himself, and so I have to ask myself at times. I've, I've had to ask myself this this week. I always tell you, I mean, we're not going to pretend like that. I get this stuff right all the time. I've had to ask myself this week. Hey, in this situation, how I responded did that reflect God or did that reflect me? Right. Did that reflect God or did that reflect me? Because what's on the outside should be reflecting what I'm seeing's is happening on the inside. Because if it ain't no a whale, it won't come up in a bucket. I also can't tell you how many times lately, and we were actually having this conversation, and Alexis and Michael and I were having this conversation yesterday. I can't tell you how many times lately I've heard people outside the faith community talk about seeing church folks bad behavior. I think it's very much like seeing the Gentile court, that first point of entry where people are getting an opportunity to come into a place where worship is happening. And and would you really be encouraged to come into the temple if what you saw was all these people trying to basically take you for a financial ride? They were trying to take your money. They were trying to they were trying to you know they know you need to come in and worship and so they're trying to get, extort some money out of you to do that process. Would would you be encouraged to build to go into the temple and worship? No. You know we were talking through some instances of some things that I that Michelle and I saw on vacation with people that said they were church folks. I don't identify them as being church Part of the churches that I'm a part of, but saw some people just doing some hateful things where we were. Michelle has uh and and Jerry and several others of you and and have been doing some volunteering in um in Jacksonville over the last couple of days in part of this cleanup and the ladies came back yesterday we were here at the church working on doing some stage stuff and and they came back and Michelle said yes I got cussed out a bunch of times today. <laughs> Literally. And you know, to the point that, that in one situation she was she said, Hey, I I'm, I'm gonna find somebody that will help you. I'm gonna find somebody to help you and she went and found the police <laughs> and 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 brought the policeman over and said, You need to talk to this guy. Guy was so upset he wanted to go in and serve, supposedly, but he didn't wanna have to go through the process of going through the security check stuff and everything that they would do where so that the city can get paid by FEMA for volunteers coming in and helping them and to benefit. So I'm here to help, but I'm not going to do it the way you want me to do it. I'm not going to take you know, the 30, 40 minutes to go through this process, but I'm here to help, by golly. So get out of my way so I can help. Okay, but we need you to do this. And Michelle told me, she said, she said, Nathan, I heard somebody one line over say, I bet those are church folks. Speaking of the guy that was cussing her out. I said, I bet those are church folks. Alexis made a statement to me yesterday when we were talking about this. She said, you know, that sometimes all that people see if they're if they're not in the I'm gonna put a different phrase if they're not in the faith community, what they see is what they see on TV You know what that's a shame because this church is all over the place in this city. These people working at all kind of different businesses that say they're followers of christ that they're they're in church this morning. people ought to be seeing followers of Christ that are welcoming that are engaging, that are loving, that will speak the truth in love, that will, that will encourage people, that will try to lead them to Christ. But they shouldn't be getting an impression. They ought to be looking and saying, you know that thing I saw on TV, it's not like any of the Christians that I know, even if I don't go to church, even if I'm not a, a, a person in a fake community. But I know a bunch of and they're nothing like that right there. See, what's happening in that outer court matters because it should be a reflection of what's happening in that inner court. See, what's happening on the outside of your life should be a reflection of what's happening with you meeting with God on the inside. And so if if what's happening on the outside of your life today is hateful, if it's bitter, if it's angry, if it's rebellious, if it's whatever... That's an indication of what's happening with you and God down deep on the inside where only you and He meet. Nobody else can see it. Nobody else can be there with you. But it's it's an indication of some of that. And I believe that that was part of what because Jesus knew. He knew that His plan was going to be to draw the Gentile people into the family of God as well as the Jewish people. And He had one group that was already trying to exclude the other group. And not care about them. But let's be honest, if we're not careful we'll start to not care about anybody that's not like us. Right? I mean let's just (laughs) whether it's because they're poorer or they're richer whether it's because they are from a different ethnicity, whether it's because they're from a different background, whether it's because they got a different belief about certain things, then we start to not care because well, they're not like us. Church should not be a place where that is an issue. God's family should not be a place where that is an issue. But while we come to the cross, we come to this point where Jesus is going to be we all come the same. We all have the same need. We're all going to go to the same place if we don't get it right. But then He offers to us all. Because the Bible says it's not His will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. All of us. And so we come to that point of unity, the cross. We say, Jesus, I need you to do through what you have done on the work, through the work of the cross, I need you to do that in my life. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. It's all the same. So today I want to ask you this. These guys are going to come because we're going to do a song to end service here in a little bit. They're going to go ahead and come up question that I want to ask you today is this. Is is your life in line with God's plan to meet with you personally? Because here's the thing. These guys were all hung up about what it was that Jesus had done. Not because it was wrong. They knew that he was doing the right thing. They knew that he was doing what was just. But their only issue was, do you have authority to do it? And that's really the question that most of us are asking ourselves before we come to Christ. Does God really have the authority to say to me, to speak into my life and say, you need to receive me? Who's God? Who are you to say that that I need to receive you? He's God. That's That's who He is. That's That's why he has, and so we question that in our lives. We go, wait a minute, I I think I've got the authority over my life. Who are you to have authority over my life? Just like these religious folks did to Jesus. They weren't trying to figure out was it just, we know that we do wrong stuff, right? Let's let's not pretend we all know that we've done wrong stuff. You know if you've told a lie, you know if you stole something, you know if you've been hateful toward to, toward somebody, you you know if you've had evil thoughts toward people, you know that you've even thought it sometimes. If I could have got away with it, I'd have busted that person right in the lip, right? I mean, let's not pretend like it hadn't happened. Maybe this week. <laughs> Just saying. Don't act like don't act like you hadn't been there. You know, we know that stuff's not right. And so we know, we know where that puts us. And so, but we're really asking ourselves, does God really have authority to require something out of me? And the amazing thing is, is he turns around and God says, This is what I require of you, oh man. But then he turns around and says, But I know you can't do it. I can't lower my requirement. You can't achieve my requirement. So I will meet my requirement and I will allow you to receive the benefit of me paying the price for your sin that you can't pay for because I want to have a relationship with you. Sin keeps us from that. You can't pay for it so I will pay for it. And now the only question is, will you take the free gift? Jesus wasn't talking about tearing down a temple. Jesus knew that the temple that they were looking at was not even going to matter in a matter of three years. Because in three years' time, He was going to die. And He was going to be buried for three days and He was going to be raised again. And no longer would that temple be the place where that one person could go and meet God. But instead, from that point forward, Jesus would be the way that we would all come to God personally, intimately, specifically between us and Him. Amen. And He made the way and all we had to do was allow Him full control of our lives and allow that to happen deeply and fully on the inside It would show up on the outside. Yeah. So the question is, where are you regarding that Today?